Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Renoites. My name is Connor McWivy. I'm your host. Renoites is the weekly interview podcast where I talk to all sorts of folks from Northern Nevada who are doing interesting or important things. This week on the podcast, we're talking about neon. Neon is the state element, thanks to Will Durham from here in Reno. Will's project is called the Nevada Neon Project. Will is working to preserve the history of neon in our state. He has a very large collection of neon signs that have come from this area and throughout the state, and is hoping to, at some point, create a neon museum here in northern Nevada. On this episode, we talked about the science of neon lights, the history here in the state of advertising as art, the visual impact of neon in creating a perception of what a city looks and feels like. It was really great to learn about such an important part of what makes Reno Reno, what makes Nevada Nevada, and the work that's being done to preserve that. If you have suggestions for future guests or topics on Renoites, please let me know. Send me an email. My address is Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com. Or follow me on Instagram. Shoot me a message over there. That's at Renoites on Instagram. Now this week's guest, Will Durham. Will Durham, welcome to Renoites. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Good to have you here. So we're here to talk about neon art and the Nevada Neon Project, which is something that you're working on to preserve the history of neon art and advertising here in the state of Nevada, not just Reno, but Nevada broadly. And I'm excited to talk to you about what you're working on and kind of what you've collected and what you've done so far. But to start, can you talk a little bit about what you hope to do as far as preservation? Because there's this difference. We talked the other day about collecting versus dealing versus preserving. And I would say you're more of a like a preservationist uh, than a collector or even like more of a collector and preservationist than you're not in the in the like neon art dealing business. Right. So can you talk a little bit about the the preservation aspect of what you're doing in the collection that you have? Sure. I think sometimes when people describe me as a collector, I think that sounds a lot more passive than the work that that we actually do because you know collector the idea of being a collector i think of as more like kind of passive like going to um going to antique stores and picking things up or auctions and that isn't actually the work that we do um we preserve the things right from the buildings and from the sites where they are and so it's it's a lot more intense you know we get dirty we bleed for this stuff <laughs> but it's we feel that it's important to to save this stuff. So it kind of started out as just kind of something that I thought was interesting to look at. We saved some signs from the Zephyr Motel, mm-hmm. and it was a diving swimmer. And I preserved it because it was mainly just because it was visually, you know, pleasing, and, and it was just kind of nostalgic. And then the more I looked around, there were really legendary properties in Reno that were closing. Mm-hmm. Herald's Club, the Nevada Club, Mapes, Riverside all these kind of pillars of downtown Reno. And I felt like, shouldn't someone be saving these? These are part of our collective history. And so I realized that people weren't really looking at the signs at the moment, you know, that they were kind of thought of as just part of the building and they weren't really worth saving. So then for the next few years, it was really all I could do just to make sure that this stuff wasn't lost forever. And so it was it was getting these signs, asking neighbors to store them, you know, just because we didn't have the room. It it wasn't really planned out as a large-scale preservation effort. Mm -hmm. There were just all these amazing, you know, historic properties that were closing, and the signs really represented those businesses. And so 
it just felt important to not have them lost, you know, and I didn't know if there would, would ever be a time when other people would see their worth and be able to display them. But I always thought that it was worth letting that decision be made later, you know, because you mm-hmm. can't preserve something later on. It's it's in that moment. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't just changes in Reno. It was changes all over Nevada. Las Vegas was going through tremendous change and also, you know, places like Elko and Carson. And, and so I realized that it was something that was you know, predominantly in Reno was my focus, but I I saw that they were being taken down all over the state. And so mm. it became kind of an effort to preserve as much as possible that was historically, artistically significant. But Reno has gone through a tremendous amount of change. And so a good portion of the collection is from Reno. Mm. Like, you know, Harrah's more recently, but Harold's Club, Parker's Western Wear, which had been in business for 75 years. So it was it was just kind of a it felt like something that that was important to do and but not necessarily fun. It wasn't necessarily collecting. <laughs> it was really like physically saving this stuff, yeah. you know, getting some friends together to help move it and and find a temporary home for it just so that it wasn't Mm-hmm. destroyed. Yeah, we talked earlier about kind of collecting because you have been a collector of other things in the past. Like we talked about collecting bottle caps and various other things. What was it that kind of shifted about the preservation piece? Was it that it is something that represents the city? Is it the like the visibility and the familiarity of these signs you think that uh, made them a little more special for you as far as preserving them? Well, downtown Reno was, you know, that was really our visual anchor for the city like people knew the reno arch people knew the prima donna girls or the mapes cowboys in neon so i think that it became important to save these because you know they were part of our everyday when we would go downtown these would really see it and then also i grew up we had some family friends that owned casinos and so i grew up around harold's club and fitzgerald's and nevada Mm. club so that it just felt like this was something an exciting part of our history that really shouldn't be lost. And it was also kind of trying to save a nostalgia that I wasn't ever really a part of. I mean, this a lot of this happened before I was around, but it was kind of maybe an imagined history that I thought, you know, I'd heard stories and seen pictures and stuff. And so it just felt like it was maybe hanging on to a bit of, of history that some of which I experienced and some of which I didn't. Yeah. I had Alicia Barber on the show earlier this season, and she's a historian. And we talked about the shared experience or shared understanding of a place. And Reno is a fairly transient city. People come and go. You and I are relatively young, I would say, in terms of the time that Reno has been here and the mm. the heyday of the casinos. But having kind of a, even if we didn't live through it, a shared understanding of like what Reno was is something that connects people, right? So it seems to make sense that the the signage and the and the neon and kind of the the visual thing. We with Alicia, we talked more about buildings, but it seems that there's a similarity there. Where whether you have lived in Reno just a little while, or if you live here forever, or if you are have just visited, you've seen and have kind of an understanding of the look and feel. And the neon's such a big part of that. Can you talk a little bit about like the neon in particular about why that's such a visual indicator of Nevada? That's why. Neon is important to Nevada. That's what that's what I what really stuck with me is that neon means more to Nevada than any other state. That whenever you'd see movies, TV shows, or magazines, they would always establish with shots of the neon in Nevada, whether it's the Reno Arch or Welcome to Fabulous Las Vegas or the Flamingo Plumes. It was always something that was synonymous with Nevada. And so 
the buildings, we don't have an extensive architectural history in Nevada. A lot of our buildings are kind of what they'd call decorated sheds. And so the signage really was the visual anchor of these businesses. Maybe in other cities, like you would appreciate neon from a a particularly well-known business, but it's kind of like the backdrop from a lot of our childhoods. Downtown Reno has taken a bit of a turn and it isn't quite as welcoming and it, it isn't quite as alive as it once was, but I remember seeing it and feeling just this energy mm-hmm. that was just so exciting. And the neon really represents that. There's something about neon that can never be duplicated in any sort of other medium, LEDs, you know, these rope lights. There's something magic about neon. And mm-hmm. it's something that that feels welcoming. It feels nostalgic. It's really something that that evokes something in people. Maybe it's past memories, but neon has always been synonymous with welcoming people into a business. Mm, All right. And I mean, I also think that liveliness and energy is something that I hadn't really considered. It's downtown. We always talk about how it's changed and there's, you know, businesses that are closed and there's not as much to do and see. But the neon is also a part of that because there's not as much actual physical visual energy, right? Mm -hmm. But there is not as many light particles shooting around downtown. So I guess that makes sense that part of the lowered appeal of downtown is the lack of just visible light. Yeah, I mean, the neon really was a huge layer of why downtown Reno was attractive. Mm -hmm. And so each business basically selling the same thing, you know, gambling, had about 50 to 100 feet of frontage to kind of attract people to come in and, 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 and gamble and eat with them. So each property had these really unique characters and a lot of it was displayed in neon, you know, so Mapes was Western, you know, the Herald's Club was also Western, but Harrah's maybe had a more uh, metropolitan feel, but it was all designed to excite people to get them, you know, to establish goodwill and to make them want to be a part of what was going on in those buildings. You know, mm-hmm. I was, I've never been a gambler. I've never been into to that aspect of Nevada, but casinos still really hold a, a warm place in my heart just because they feel they feel like a place that's that's open to everyone and i know it's not altruistic you know that they're that they're there for a reason but there's still that feel that mm-hmm. you know with these businesses that have these attractions that everyone is welcome there you know I, i'm not fooled to think that it's the a beautiful place of you know great things happening there but it but it it feels like everybody's welcome you don't have to be particularly wealthy or or connected but mm-hmm. everyone is welcome in these yeah in these businesses and yeah you mentioned like the open sign the idea of like a neon open sign is i think a immediate thought when you think of a neon sign it's like the op- open welcome tell me a little bit more about the process of acquiring the neon pieces that you have i know you mentioned sometimes they're coming from businesses that are closing there from buildings that are about to be torn down and you're physically removing neon signs from places. Can you tell me a little bit more just about the the process of what signs you identify as things that you would want to save, how you communicate with the people to assure that, you know, you can acquire them? What does that look like as far as actually getting the pieces into your collection? Well, you have to be really familiar with the landscape. I like to think that I know of at least maybe 98% or more of all the neon signs in Nevada. You have to respect them as historical and artistic pieces. And so, you know, some of the signs that we preserve aren't particularly old. Maybe they're from a business that's particularly 
you know, well-received in the community, people have good feelings about. But a lot of it is paying attention to changes, you know, watching the news and seeing potential development in an area and just watching to make sure that they're not lost because that's the main thing. Our goal isn't to just take down and and keep these signs. We want to keep the signs up as long as possible. Hmm. So like there was a sign from the Mary Wink Motel that I was worried that there was a, a collector from back east that was coming through and, and buying some signs. And there were certain signs that I just really didn't want Reno to lose, that they were, that I felt that they were very important. You know, with the Mary Wink Motel, there were those Burma Shave style signs that said, the man who drives half asleep is now buried six feet deep. Mary Wink Motel, four miles ahead. But I mean, like any kid that grew up and drove through Washer Valley knew that. And mm-hmm. so that sign I felt was important to save. And so I made a deal with the owner at the time and I purchased the sign with the understanding that it would stay up as long as it could, because I want people to be able to see these signs. And so it's been up for about probably 20 years since I I bought it just because it's, it makes people happy. Mm -hmm. A lot of times that isn't possible. You know, it would be nice to save everything historic in Reno and Nevada. And a lot of times that just isn't feasible. So we love to keep the signs up as long as as humanly possible, but then when they are at risk of being torn down, that's when we step in. But it takes a lot of you know preparation before that. We explain to the owners what we do and why it's important, and we a lot of times letting them know some of the other signs that we've preserved when they know that we have signs from like the Riviera in Las Vegas, Herald's Club, Nevada Club, Mapes, then it kind of feels like the the safe place for Mm. their signs to go. Because we want to tell a big story with these signs. And and so that happens when you have a a large amount of signs so that you can really tell a lot of different stories. Yeah. And I know that there's the Neon in Nevada project, which was a photography project, right, Mm -hmm. of various neon signs around Nevada. And I know you were involved in that too. Can you tell me a little bit about the Neon in Nevada project and what that was? It's kind of funny because that's a lot of the work, you know, I was already kind of doing and mm. documenting the signs. What we did with that is that we wanted to capture all the remaining neon signs in Nevada to, you know, photograph them to kind of keep a record, which I think is important and especially in this time of change. So, I photographed all the signs north of Tonopah. It was a pretty cool project to work on during the pandemic. Because you couldn't really travel very far, but you could certainly, you know, go along Highway 50, the loneliest road in America. Mm -hmm. But it was really, it took me to places that I hadn't really ever been. I tried to go as many places as possible, but getting to go to McDermott and Jackpot, you know, having a reason to go up there and really see that the rich history of Neon is the entire state. You know, that it isn't just in the centers like Reno and Las Vegas, that there's something that connects us all. And one of the things is neon. It, it just it's a Nevada thing, and so that's why that's why it's it's something that I think belongs in a collection together. And I love the idea of being able to tell that story from Reno mm-hmm. and making Reno kind of the center of of that story of the whole state. Yeah, I, I definitely want to talk to you about the kind of common thread among all of the the different places in Nevada because we talked about it, it is not just Reno and Vegas. There's there are other cities, and they also have. A history and they also have neon and that's also part of their culture and their history in smaller towns and we talked a little bit about kind of like a, a the neon trail like if you're traveling through nevada mm-hmm. being able to see these in different cities but to go back a little bit just to kind of the the art of neon and kind of what makes that special i think for some people they don't really know the difference between a, a neon sign and an led sign they're both 
you know, they have, have long strands of color. That's basically all they know about neon. So can you talk a little bit about what makes neon special technically? Like what, how does it work and what makes it special, both like technically and artistically as a medium? Well, neon is kind of the overall term. Neon is a noble gas, but there's several noble gases that are used in the production of neon. There's argon and krypton, sometimes helium. And you get different colors by using different gases. And then also some of the glasses are coated with different phosphors. We use different combinations of gas and phosphors to create all the different colors of neon. There's just something that's intangible about the way neon looks. Like there's this glow that pierces the night. I mean, you can see neon from miles away and it's clear. A lot of the new LED signs, they don't focus on the eye as well as neon does. Neon is always crisp through like fog, through dust and anything, and it's still always crisp. Sometimes with LED, you can get brilliant colors. I don't think you can get the saturation of color that you can with neon, but there's just something that is so welcoming about it. And basically what it is, is it's a sealed glass tube filled with these noble gases and there's electrodes on either end. And so electricity is introduced on one side of the tube and then it travels, you know, through the tube, the gas is ignited. And so that that's what makes it glow. I think beyond the technical aspects of neon, what makes these neon signs attractive is that they were built differently. You know, when people were opening a business, it, it really represents, it was an extension of them and their family. And it was meant to be, you know, around for, for decades. And so when I think of someone like opening the Mary Wink Motel or the Buffalo Bar, it was an investment that wasn't like, well, if this fails, we can always, you know, we can always cut our losses. These were investments. These were, these were something that were, that were definitely built to last. Some of the things that are different is that a lot of these signs were figural. So like they were in the shape of like the Buffalo Bar was like a cocktail glass pouring out the shape of a buffalo head. And the physical construction of that sign would have been very difficult. You know, you'd need to, you know, the to do the outline of a buffalo head is very time consuming. You know, the labor in something like that would be quite expensive. Mm-hmm. A lot of signs now, if you look, they're just rectangles. You know, they're rectangles that you can slide out the the plastic behind them. You know, there's no, there's very little that that really has to do with the nature of the business. And that's not so necessarily when smaller businesses, but at least when you go to like malls, it's just like a column of, of rectangles. Yeah. So there's also, you know, neon needs is handmade. You know, you, there's no machine that makes neon. It takes a craftsman to make patterns, you bend the neon, you know, electricians to get it to light or maybe animate correctly. So there was a, several different crafts that went into these. They were expensive, but they really were built to last. You know, we took a sign down a few years ago that had been around since the 50s. And basically the neon, like some of the neon had been burning for about 60 years straight, you know, because the, the the dates are on the mm-hmm. on some of the tubes. And so you just realize, wow, <laughs> this was this was built in the 50s and it continued on into well into the to the next century. Hmm. And so there's something that that feels substantial about these signs and also techniques like porcelain enamel. That's when the paint is baked on. The facade of that sign will look new forever, you know, just because of the technique. Of course, that doesn't, you know, it's very expensive to do that. And and then if you're also building signs that always look good, there's no need to 
<laughs> to replace them. And so, right. The, the, the sign replacement business probably yeah. doesn't, uh, doesn't like that neon lasts so long. Right. And a lot of businesses aren't, you know, they're like people don't necessarily go into a business thinking that this is going to be how they retire. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I feel like there's a lot more hedging. And so signs are, are not as much of a, a significant part of the facade. And there's also been sign ordinances that have significantly changed things, which is unfortunate because mm-hmm. I think, some of the signs that they're preventing from being made would be a real asset to the to the skyline. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know about the changing rules about signage, but that does make sense that as they change the rules about what signs can be, that changes the ability to create them. Can you tell us a little bit more about what those rules are, how they've changed? I don't know. I don't know too much about the sign ordinances because we haven't, you know, we don't really our business is on the other end of the signs life. But I was talking with someone from a sign company recently, and they were saying that that there's like a five foot signs can't be taller than five feet. I mean, the casinos are exempt from something like that. But so, so the signage is much more modest now. And, mm. and a lot of times there's benefit to a community, but I think sometimes that it would prevent some of these you know, like the Buffalo Bar would never be able allowed to be built. The Mapes Cowboys, they were, well, they they were a casino, so that'd be different. But a lot of these, you know, kind of beautiful monument signs wouldn't be able to be made these days. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about the art of advertising. Like a lot of art comes from the ad world. And you described salesmen as being kind of the, the first step of this artistic process. Can you talk about the connection between advertising? Obviously, these are businesses advertising themselves. But that that connection between advertising and art and how the neon signs connect to that yeah you know i i i find it hard to make distinctions between like what art is and what and you know the difference between an illustrator and an artist i see no difference really i think it would be a hard argument to make to say that the people that that design and build these signs aren't artists they're craftsmen they're craftspeople but to say that the person coming up with the design of these signs or the animation. And then I mentioned the the sales, the salespeople for these signs. I think a lot of times they were kind of overlooked in the process, but they're the ones that sold the vision. Hmm. You know, and Nevada has always been kind of like one upping each other in the casinos. And and so if a building has done this beautiful monument sign, well, what are you going to do to compete? And then so these salesmen would help sell a vision of something that could be spectacular. And then of course they would have to bring that back to the sign shop and they might get some flack, like, how are we supposed to do this? (laughs) But, but people would figure out a way. And so they were kind of the first line of creating an artistic statement. One of the things I find interesting is that signs are different all over the country and within the state because of the sign companies that cater to those areas. So if you had a sign company that had a very talented illustrator some of the signs in your community would be much more elaborate and, and figurative. And if you had people that were, had stronger typography vision, you may have you know signs that are their bold statement is just through text. And so, I mean, you can see the techniques from different cities and it really depended on the talent that you have. So if you have someone that's really good at animating neon signs, making them move, then that's something you'd have that in your arsenal. Mm -hmm. And Reno had some really amazing artists. One of our key illustrators, Lou Heimers, he was prolific in doing artwork and advertising. And he designed the Nevada club figure, Bucky Buckaroo. I was lucky enough to preserve one of those signs. That is one of the best signs. And the reason it's so powerful is because it is figural. You know, he's the shape of Nevada wearing a cowboy hat and holding a, a rope. 
But the fact that the illustration is so crisp, it's an unforgettable image. Signs like Vegas Vic, the Welcome to Fabulous Las Vegas sign, the Reno Arch. The design is what makes them endure. Mm. And so, you know, they're, they're stamped on our, our psyches. And it's and we're lucky enough to have had some very talented artists that, that made them come to life. Yeah. Hey there, listeners. I hope you're enjoying this episode with Will Durham. I'm interrupting just for a moment to tell you all the stuff that used to be at the beginning of the episodes. First, if you want to support this show, please help spread the word. I've been doing the show for a couple of years now. This is actually episode number 100, technically. But there are still a lot of people in town who don't know that this podcast even exists. So please share posts on social media. Let people know about the show. Word of mouth really makes a huge difference for a project like this. If you want to support the show financially, there's a very easy way to do that. I have an account on Patreon. Patreon lets you donate on a monthly basis for as little as a couple dollars a month. I call that the tip jar level. So if you enjoy the show and want to give me a little pat on the back, that's a great way to do it. That's patreon.com slash This is a community-funded, community-oriented project. So your contributions make all of the difference there as well. And if you want to come see me in person, there's a couple places to do that. Most Sundays, I am going to be at the Riverside Farmer's Market. That is at Idlewild Park from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Sundays. It's been really great being at the market. I've met a ton of great people, and it's a great opportunity just to chat about what I'm doing on the show, suggest guests. I also have some merchandise for sale. Again, that helps support the show. I got some t-shirts and stickers, so come on by and visit me there, as well as live episodes about once a month at Black Rabbit Mead. The next one of those is on July 27th with Sierra Regional Roller Derby. And of course, if you're a fan of trivia, you can come see me host for DJ Trivia at several venues in town. Monday night at Lead Dog Brewing, Tuesday at Sierra Tap House, Wednesday at Voodoo Brewing, and Thursday at the Brewer's Cabinet Production Facility. All of those games are from 7 to 9 o'clock and free to play. So feel free to visit me at any of those places. Would love to see and hear from you. And now back to this week's episode with Will Durham. On the on the craft side and the kind of engineering and, and making the things happen side, what does that look like now in Nevada as neon is less common in, you know, there's less new neon signs being made, I'm assuming. So what does that look like for artists who actually work in that medium? Is there an ability to learn how to do neon art? Is there a, a, you know, a community artistically here in Reno that is doing neon? What does that look like for people who are actively still working in that medium? Well, there's never going to be the over-the-top neon displays from casinos, you know, things that like, used to be on the side of the Holiday or the Virginian, you know, these these just massive facades of neon. So that's probably never going to come back. There will always be businesses that love neon and still use it. There's um, two local bars that have opened within the last year have opened with new neon signs. I think it's the Poor Devil and the Low Bar. But I think that that's really interesting that they're still doing neon and those were both made by color of neon and they're the only functioning neon shop in reno the other sign companies contract with them to do their neon they're the ones that are doing it mainly professionally there's another uh, jeff johnson does some of the the neon from places like beefies and uh, chapel and so there isn't a huge base of people that are doing neon because the amount of work that's come up has dwindled. Hmm. We don't want the art to die because there's no one here to do it. And so eventually people retire and, and we don't want to be 
left without the ability to have new neon made. So one of the things that we want to do with Nevada Neon Project is we want to be able to have classes to kind of teach people how to do neon, you know, bring in people to show people what it's like. Unfortunately, being able to be really proficient in neon takes many years to really get to be really good. It isn't something that you can just kind of pick up and do on the side for a little bit. What we would hope is that through these classes that we would really get some people that it really creates that spark. We're like, I want to do this and I'm willing to put the time in to do that because there's there's always going to be a need for neon. One of the things that we did because we didn't want neon to fade away in Nevada, neon's sometimes popular and then it wanes. And one of the things that we wanted to do, which we felt was important, was to make neon one of our state symbols. I was working as a teacher, and I thought it would be an amazing civics project to work with the students to write and lobby for this bill to make neon one of our state symbols. Because we wanted neon to endure here, we've had neon in the state for almost 100 years. It has endured, but we don't want it to fade away. Mm -hmm. And also, for neon to be a Nevada thing, not just a Las Vegas thing, Right. a lot of times... Neon is synonymous with Las Vegas, and Las Vegas takes a lot of the energy, you know, in most conversations. But we wanted it to be a Nevada thing, that there's neon in Battle Mountain, Overton, Lovelock. It's throughout the state. But that was intentional so that when people are thinking about opening a business, you know, what kind of sign they're thinking, that neon comes to mind. Well, what's it? It's a Nevada thing. Well, mm-hmm. You know, we, we have Nevada pride. We have Reno pride. Let's do some neon. The glamour and the shine of neon is never going to go away. It's always going to create magic. And so it just makes it another option Yeah, that, you know, that, that if you're looking to, to start a business and you want something to, to get noticed, that neon's an option. Yeah. What was the process like going through the, does it go through the state legislature? What does that look like as far as the logistics of making something a, a state symbol? <laughs> well, that was kind of interesting because it was, you know, I was learning a lot through the process too. I was thinking... What? How, how do you pass a right. bill? And so, you know, the, the first thing that we had to do is we needed to find a sponsor. You know, to you can't, you know, propose a bill without having a sponsor. So I was really asking around with the people that I knew, and everyone was, everyone kept telling me, oh, you should talk to Sarah Peters. You should talk to Sarah Peters. And she was a new assembly person at the time. And I'd worked with the students, and we talked about what we were going to do, and we really planned you know, how we would do it. And so you know, we were very methodical. So we knew we needed to find a sponsor. And so we found, we approached uh, Miss Peters and she liked the idea. And uh, so she agreed to, she agreed to sponsor it. And so we worked with her to write the bill. It's a very, as far as bills go, it was very simple. Right. <laughs> but um, there have been some other bills that maybe deal with state symbols that are a little bit more loaded. And this wasn't supposed to be that. It was just simply recognizing the artistic and historical significance of neon in our state. So it was very important for us. We didn't want this to be a political issue at all. We just wanted it to be a Nevada thing. Yeah. And it was very important for us. We really wanted it to pass unanimously. We worked with the students to put together packets that kind of showed why neon meant something to Nevada and also to, you know, come back at some questions that people would say, well, neon is, you know, neon's a waste of electricity. And what they didn't know is that Neon is actually a green source of energy. Neon doesn't use very much power. Hmm. So there's a misnomer to thinking that LEDs are this massive, you know, energy savings over neon. And so that was, so we kind of went through the potential obstacles. 
We had posters that had the names of all the assembly members, their political affiliation, whether or not they were in our committee, and then also whether or not they had agreed to support our bill. So we were pretty methodical about this, but we went through, we had to go through committee hearings, you know, where we would kind of, they would, I don't want to say grill us, but they'd really go over, um, you know, ask some hard questions about why this was relevant. And so we had students that were testifying in that. And I was really proud of them to, you know, to see them do it. And so, but the, the best part was lobbying. You know, this was 2019, so it was before COVID. So we were able to just go through the legislature, mm. set up meetings and, and run into to senators and assembly members and be able to pitch why this was important. And so it passed both chambers unanimously and then was signed into law. It felt good being able to see the political process without some of the ugliness of you know, some of the political battles. And it was just a nice way for the kids to see the way it could go, the way it could be, but also that, that it felt like something that was important to Nevada and that it was something that could endure. What does it mean for something to be a state symbol? Is it something that the state highlights more? Are there actual like practical benefits of being a state symbol of something? It, I mean, there's not no real... Just to be able to say. Well, I mean, but it's something that endures. And so, you mm. know, students learn about the state symbols, you know, when they talk about silver, they enters into conversations about why silver was important to mm. our state. And so the fact it's been a part of our fabric for, you know, nearly a hundred years. And so, you know, as things changed, we thought that it was important to kind of recognize something that was historically significant. And it, and it really helped, you know, put Nevada on the map. You know, I mean, visually, people wanted to see Nevada. People wanted to see these neon wonders. And it was it's a small part. It's, it's certainly... It's a small part of the story, but it was something that got people talking about Reno and Nevada. Yeah. Tell me more about the other towns, because you've mentioned, you know, a couple times these smaller towns around Nevada that I think sometimes can be forgotten. I mean, this podcast is mostly about Reno. Yeah, for sure. But there are a lot of other towns in Nevada. So can you just talk a little bit more about their connection to Neon, even if they haven't been, you know, big, necessarily like gambling meccas? Why are the small towns important too? Well, Reno, to start with, Reno was an amazing neon center. I mean, we we still have quite a bit, but years back, Reno was definitely one of the neon centers of, of the United States. But I always used to drive across, you know, Nevada. I worked in Las Vegas, or I'd travel back and forth, and I used to hate the drive at the start. It was just this ugly desert. And then it started to grow on me. And a lot of times I would make these trips at night, driving through the darkness and then all of a sudden coming into one of these cities and just being able to, you know, see these neon wonders was, it was, it was really exciting. But I think of places like Elko, uh, there's a sign from like the center motel. It's this, it's this waving cowboy that's, you know, beckoning you into the hotel and all the different colors of neon, just the typography, the illustration. It's a landmark in this city. And I think a lot of times people don't understand that until it's gone. Mm. You know, it'd be like when I when I see it in the city, I'm like, how are people not just stopping their cars and just marveling at this sign? And I think that it's part of the fabric. It's places like the Owl Club in Battle Mountain. You know, it's like this little diner in the middle of nowhere, um, but it's got this great neon and and it's got that welcoming energy. But that's what's so fun about Nevada is it's, it's Winnemucca, you know, the Scott's Shady Court neon. And it's like there's maybe six or seven signs all over the city pointing you know, four blocks to mm. Scott's Shady Court. It's like, what is this? You know, what is this Scott's Shady Court? And it's a, it's a cool little uh, motel. 
but it's like the neon kind of gives it more of a presence, yeah. you know, and so the griddle in Winnemucca. When you see these signs that you can tell have been around forever, it gives the city a little bit more depth. And you think of like, well, so so tell me the story of Winnemucca. Like, mm. like, like, why is this city here? And what, you know, what's, what's important about this city? These signs open up conversations about history and, and the future of these places. I've never thought of these as the sign being the end of the story. It starts the story, mm. you know? So when we display these, we want this to open up conversation and bring back memories and that these are just kind of the conversation starters the, the facade like when you think of you know the the sign in front of a business it's the first thing you see but then your experience you know happens once you once you enter so yeah let's talk more about how this stuff is displayed because you talked about saving like the mary wing sign wanting to keep that up mm-hmm. you have a lot of signs that have come down that are in a collection are there signs that you have worked on keeping up or finding ways to continue to display before they come down signs that you've managed to preserve not just in storage mm-hmm. but in view you know the the Mary wink situation was something that was kind of unusual you know that was kind of you know the owner was receptive to to that and so he was an attorney and so he registered it with the the county that it was that it was owned by someone else and it's kind of a cumbersome process a lot of times that doesn't happen we want to have these signs out as much as possible. And so we've worked with other cultural institutions to make that possible. For the last 12 to 13 years, we've been displaying signs at the Western Folklife Center in Elko during the poetry gathering. That's been really fun because it's like this ongoing thing and it kind of helps add to the the fabric of that event. In Reno, we had a show at the Nevada Museum of Art. It was a feature exhibition. It's called The Light Circus, The Art of Nevada Neon. And that was great because it was kind of a proof of concept of what a museum will be like here. Mm. That's the ultimate goal is to do the world-class, very large neon museum here in Northern Nevada. That was maybe, it was 16 signs. We have almost 200 now. And so that was just kind of a you know a sample of what could happen. We have a few signs up at the Brasserie St. James. We have a horseshoe that was from the Carson Nugget and then a letter that was from the roof garden hotel that was at the Nugget. So we have the big R displayed there. Um, We're going to be working with the National Automobile Museum to display some other signs. So we're always looking for collaborations. You know, we've we've shown them at the Museum of Neon Art in Los Angeles, up at UNR. We've worked with the Holland Project. We want to get these signs out as much as possible. What people will say, well, you need to do this museum, and this is what we want to do. But the the idea of that is a huge undertaking, and it's something that we want to be working towards, and we are. But in the meantime, we want more opportunities to get these signs out. So mm-hmm. we did a collaborative pro- project last summer at the Nevada Museum of Art with Collateral and Company. They did an interpretive dance project with poetry. It was called Across the Neon Landscape. That was really exciting because seeing other people do their amazing artwork mixed with neon. It's like seeing the neon glow spread. We were really flattered to be a part of that. One of the other things is that things happen so fast with with all the development that's happening in Nevada Mm -hmm. that it's really, really almost overwhelming just to be preserving this stuff right now. And so there will be a time when it slows down because there isn't much left, unfortunately, but we're saving the majority of what's coming down so that we will be in the position to have a museum that is world-class. It's not going to be like the sad little brother from the one in Las Vegas. We have enough signs to, I don't want to say compete with them, but to have something that's of a a similar caliber. 
we have science, like amazing science, historically significant science, artistically significant science. And so that's the ultimate goal. But we really want to get stuff out in the meantime, possibly doing like a pop-up museum or, or even like kind of like a smaller version of that, just because this stuff does need to be seen. We want it out as much as possible. Mm-hmm. What's happening at the Sparks Heritage Museum this summer? You have some project there too? So for Art Town, we're going to be doing a photography show. I'll be showing off some of the signs that I've photographed over the years of, of the project. So we're going to be doing that and we're going to be doing a live demonstration of sign painting. And then also we're hoping if we can get the uh, fire marshals to sign off to be able to do a demonstration of actually neon tube bending too. So kind of to demystify you know, the process of neon, but also to celebrate the artists that do it. So working with the Sparks Heritage Museum, the director, Christine, over there has been really supportive of of all things neon. And so it's been a pleasure working with them. And it's an opportunity to kind of show off some of the photos, but we will have some signs there too. So it's another way where we can actually share the signs with the community. I know there's the museum in Las Vegas, and you mentioned the museum in LA. Can you talk a little bit about the existing kind of neon museums and what your your vision is for something here in Reno? The neon museum in Las Vegas is a lot of it's outdoor. And so they have a few signs that are lit up throughout their property and they have some amazing signs. We kind of want to elevate the yard a little bit more. There's some signs that can be outside and that's, it is a beautiful way to display them, but you also have to understand that you're letting them decay, that they are susceptible to the effects of the elements. And that's a little uh, worrisome, but also that a museum setting, physical museum setting lets you have the ability to tell more stories. And so to be able to have signs that we can have up with the proper interpretation and being able to to display them during a snowstorm or extreme heat, but also to be able to have exhibition venues to be able to talk about all of Nevada. Our exhibition philosophy is a little bit different than the Neon Museum in Las Vegas. There's the Museum of Neon Art in Los Angeles. They are kind of a hybrid where they have neon art and historically significant signs that they've preserved over the last few decades. Mm. And so that's kind of an interesting mix because the the art of neon, there's a lot of neon artists that are that are really active in the production of art. Actually, you know, a lot of the people that are the new uh, era of people that are creating neon are actually young women. And it's kind of different than it was maybe historically. It was kind of a you know, a lot of the shops were dominated by men. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really interesting to kind of see that that there's this new crop of people that are carrying on the tradition. There's a, a group called She Bends, and they travel across the country, and it's a, an assemblage mm-hmm. of female artists that are keeping the trade alive. So that's mm-hmm. exciting. Right on. So we have a current sort of development, the Neon Line District. So the Jacobs Entertainment is developing a big quadrant of downtown, and it is branded the Neon Line District. That seems like a good opportunity for us to shine a light on Neon. People are going to be saying the name Neon and seeing the signs that say Neon. Can you talk a little bit about what you hope to see from the Neon Line District as far as it connects with actual Neon? Yeah. You know, they are investing heavily in downtown Reno. You know, they've the the west side of downtown Reno is, you know, a lot of their vision. And the fact that it is the Reno Neon Line is something that we think can really, you know, help our project. But it's also we feel that our project could also help the Reno Neon Line. 
you know, they want to be an artistic hub, you know, of Reno. And when I think of of the synergy that can be created if there was actually a substantial neon museum within their development, it seems like a natural fit. It really does feel like if they've invested in this neon line and neon is something that they find valuable, that having a neon museum, we really feel that, that it could be an anchor to something like this, that it can get international attention, you know, become the place in Reno to take selfies. You know, obviously that's not the importance of the collection, but what that does is those images travel and they have the ability to get people excited about Reno. Like, where is that? Oh, that's Reno. And, mm. they, you know, just to open the conversation about Reno. You know, we've been working with the the Jacobs Group to preserve some of the signs. They let us uh, preserve one of the signs from the Sands. We're going to be preserving signs from some of the other motels that are going to be taken down. And so we feel that there's that real possibility of doing something that makes sense for for the Neon line, and it makes sense for Nevada Neon Project. So hopefully, you know, they're heavily into developing the Sands right now, but it feels like like a perfect fit. You know, it doesn't feel like it's kind of like leveraged in. And so I think that I think that a conversation in the future about bringing our project to their district could be something that could be really great for the city. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it makes sense. And so, but it would also be strange if we did the museum somewhere else <laughs> <It's> outside <laughs> right. the neon line. Why is the museum there? So it just seems like it just seems like there's potential for something pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the idea of having a like a go-to place in Reno for neon that is like, oh, you're in Reno, you have to go to the Neon Museum. Mm-hmm. A lot of cities have a thing like that. And it makes sense because you mentioned like the selfies. And I know that's not the the focus of going to a museum is to take selfies, although right. for some people it is. <laughs> and some museums are very oriented towards taking selfies and pictures. It seems with neon, that is just a natural, like it's so bright, it's so visual that it seems that it would naturally be a place that people would be taking a lot of photos and selfies and well i think i think there's a lot of layers so if you come to reno and don't know anything about our history and you went to our neon museum and you just loved the visuals well that would be successful too but we would also really want there to be the opportunity to really learn about our history and we have like an amazing history in reno that a lot of times is kind of forgotten when nevada and reno you know kind of push for this new image a lot of times the history is kind of brushed aside, not intentionally necessarily. It's just renewal kind of, you know, that's just the natural collateral damage. And so we would love for people to be able to come in, you know, locals. We want it to be something that locals would just be proud of and want to show people that are, you know, look what we have here. You mm-hmm. know? And to be able to tell our history because we have, you know, we were the the gambling capital of the world, entertainment capital of the world divorce capital of the world not not everything is is amazing but the fact that that reno has just this unique history you know i mean we would want to be open to tell any sort of reno or nevada story to be able to tell people that levi's were invented in downtown reno that jacob davis created blue jeans right down on virginia street a lot of people aren't aware of that but it's part of this amazing history that we have that isn't like this obscure history you know that that we could create levels to where people would be able to come in and learn a lot about places like the mapes or harrah's nevada club parker's western where you could you could learn a lot or you can just go there and enjoy it just for the visual feast Mm -hmm. um you know there's a lot of different 
types of way to experience a museum. And so I think that, that we could meet that. Yeah. Do you have any current favorite pieces of neon that are up in Reno? I'll tell you, I'll tell you, there's one that's kind of a hidden, I mean, I, I, I love, <laughs> I love them all. And, um, but there's one that I think is, is really not that well known, but it's on the north side of the Circus Circus parking garage. And it's a blade sign that says Reno. And I think that in any other city that didn't have a Reno arch, that this would be kind of like one of the symbols of the city. And it's just a beautiful sign. And it's really off the beaten path, too. Mm -hmm. You don't see it really from the freeway. I, I did a neon walking tour. I did it as an extra. I said, okay, we'd be walking an extra two blocks to see this sign, but I think it's worth it. There's that sign. I think the, the Reno Royal sign, when it's fully lit, that sign with the, the green silver legacy in the back is just it's it's really striking. And of course, you have the Sandman, which is, you know, in East Reno on 4th Street. So the Sandman's a, a wonderful sign. The Merry Wink is, you know, he it, he's a guy that kind of looks like Santa Claus with a top hat and he winks. And the neon isn't working right now, but but it's that's that's also the thing about some of these signs is that the patina that the paint acquires and just kind of how these things age, there's something really beautiful in that too. So it isn't always the signs that are in perfect shape that are that are still exciting so mm -hmm. what else do you want people to know about the neon art in reno or the things that you're working on we want to get more active in doing things like tours teaching classes bringing neon art into the community another thing is that we don't want this art to be like part of only our history you know we want this to endure so we're looking at the opportunities to do neon like public art it's something that hasn't been done in other cities. And so we love the idea of being able to do, you know, large scale neon pieces mm. to kind of supplement the things that have lost. You know, we're not going to have these big spectacle pieces like we used to. They just don't make sense financially for these mass, some of these massive things. So if we can do some things artistically that are large scale, but done in a way that isn't obviously as expensive as these massive you know, light sculptures, um, that, that we think that that can be something that also puts us on the map hmm. is that, that we want to start doing public neon art. You know, we have some amazing murals in the city, but we think that this is an opportunity to kind of take something that's uniquely Reno and Nevada and take it to the next level. We would want to start downtown to kind of help get that energy up down there and replace some of the stuff that's been lost. So that's what we want to do. And I think also just that we're always looking for opportunities to collaborate with other cultural institutions or other little projects to collaborate, to get this stuff out there. We also are creating some newer signs based on old signs, kind of the reanimator series we, we're doing, some of the signs that have been lost that we've done that. We've also built a lot of signs in um, like 3D and, and VR. Hmm. My friend Janice created some really amazing representations of, of some of the neon that's been lost in Nevada. There's just some opportunities to bring this into the future, make it modern too. Awesome. Well, where can people learn more about what you're working on and uh, how can they connect with you and stay in the loop? Uh, basically, we're most active on uh, Instagram, Nevada Neon Project. And so, you know, we post pictures of the signs that we preserve, but also we have almost a thousand pictures on there of signs all throughout the state. So when people are thinking, you know, if you kind of want to see the depth of neon in Nevada and why neon's important to Reno and Nevada, 
I'm proud of, of the collection that we've put together on Instagram because it really does tell a story. You know, if you're thinking, well, what, like, why is neon important to Reno and, and why is it important to Nevada? If you go through there and you can really see historic pictures, but also, you know, a lot of the stuff that's still up and you can kind of paint that picture that this is something that Nevada did differently. There's part of East Fremont in Las Vegas, if you open a business, that you're required to have neon. Hmm. And so, you know, that's kind of, I can't think of any other place in the United States that would do that. And so there's something about neon that that still is a part of our fabric, but should endure and we should help it stay around. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I have found a, a new appreciation for the current neon signs just from, again, looking at the Instagram and there are things that I had not really noticed or thought much of, but now my kind of like neon radar is on a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate those things a lot more. And the, the sign you were mentioning on the circus circus, I never noticed it and never thought about it until recently. And I saw it, I don't know, a couple months ago and I was like, wait a second, that's like a really cool sign. So I understand what you mean about if we didn't have the Reno Arch downtown, that one on the Circus Circus seems like it could be an iconic sign like you would see mm-hmm. in a lot of other places, other cities that really, it says Reno. And it literally says Reno. And we have a 127-foot tall neon clown. <laughs> right. I mean, what other city can claim that? Right. I mean, we're even taller than the one in Las Vegas. So uh-huh. what other state has two neon clowns over 100 feet? Right. <laughs> Name it. I don't think you can. So awesome. a, for better or for worse, that's, that's, that's what we've got. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show to uh, to talk about the work that you're doing. I really hope that we can get that, you know, an iconic neon museum here in Reno to uh, let people experience this collection in person. Like you said, you have what a couple hundred pieces or About so. 200, yeah. yeah, that's that's a lot that I think it would be great for people to be able to experience in a way that does inform them about the history of our area and the connection to the rest of the state too. So thanks for doing the work that you're doing. I know that we talk a little bit about history and how Reno's changing on this show, and it's always good to talk to people who are aware of the things that we need to preserve along the way. So I appreciate you taking the time to do the work that you're doing and come on the show and talk about it. Well, thank you. I think that there's room to embrace the future, that it doesn't have to be, you know, this doomsday, and but also to celebrate the past. And so that's kind of the work that we're doing, hoping to to celebrate Reno and Nevada in a modern way that, that just celebrates our history. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Renoites, and special thanks to Will from the Nevada Neon Project. I'm very excited about the prospect of hopefully having a neon museum. We talk a lot about the changes in Reno, the development that's going on, and with Jacobs having their recent grand opening and relaunch, maybe it's time for a conversation about a neon museum in the Neon Line District. Again, if you enjoyed this episode or any other, please help me grow the audience. Tell your friends and family about this show. Oh, and one more way that you can help the show is vote for me in the Reno News and Review Best of Reno edition. If you vote for me for Best Podcast, it would be super fun to win Best Podcast in Reno. I would love to be able to claim that honor. You can go to the Reno News and Review website and choose Renoites for Best Podcast. That is under the culture section on your Best of Reno ballot. Next week's episode is with County Manager Eric Brown. Really great to talk to him about what the county does. We have a very large county with a large budget that does a lot of services that most people don't even realize. And I got to sit down with the county manager to talk all about his background and the work that the county is doing. That is next Tuesday. 
And also later this week, I will have a bonus mini episode. I'm trying to do some shorter episodes. So keep an eye on the podcast feed for a bonus mini episode with the Nevada Museum of Art coming up later this week. And that's all I've got for you for now. Have a great day.